0: I have a less of a chance of running over. Well, good morning. Uh, for the audio recording, I'll just state this is another lesson in a series that we've been doing at Pearl PCA on the attributes of God. It's been loosely based off a book by Mark Jones called God Is, and it's kind of a devotional approach to some of the attributes. And so we've just kind of been taking a surface level approach to each of the attributes of God, and some of the th- things get repetitive. That's because it's very difficult to talk about one attribute of God without running into the rest of them. And that makes sense because we know that God is not just made up of a bunch of pieces uh, that we can take apart. But every one of his actions, we see all the attributes in them. Uh, Even something like uh, a people being destroyed or the world being flooded. Those things have God's justice and righteousness all over them. But they also bear his love and his mercy. Uh, Today's attribute we'll be doing is uh, God is... Faithful, Uh, and and just as a reminder, um, the the thing that is unique to God being faithful is with this attribute. uh, Every other attribute of God that's communicable, in other words, the attributes that even we can exhibit uh, by being in Christ, by being merciful to one another, by being loving to one another, all of those attributes presuppose God being faithful. They're built upon it. That's our great hope as Christians. um, We have a God that keeps His promises even when we don't. We have a God that keeps covenant with us even when we don't. Uh, Even in the midst of storms and trials, we know that God is still faithful. Even though it doesn't happen in our time, even though it doesn't always happen the way we want it to happen, oftentimes, right, we see God, we see the the things that God is doing after they've happened. Then we can clearly see how faithful our God is, and that is a slight at ourselves and not at God. And uh, as an introduction to this attribute, uh, I wanted to read from Lamentations chapter three, verses twenty two through twenty three. This is the same verse that Mark Jones uses to introduce the chapter, and I think it's fitting, and then we'll have prayer begin. Lamentations chapter three, verse twenty two through twenty three reads this The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we, we gather today on this Lord's Day to worship you. We have much in common, oh Lord, in that we, we gather not because anyone in this room can boast and how faithful we have been! Rather, Lord, we gather because we know, in and of ourselves, we are quite faithless. We are prone to be unfaithful, but we come, O oh Lord, because you are the faithful one. You are the one that has, for the foundations of the earth, set to redeem a people to yourself. And we know, and we confess. That you always keep your promises. We ask by your spirit, Lord, that you would help us to understand what it means that you are faithful. We ask by your spirit, Lord, that you would help us fight off the temptation that we daily face to be unfaithful to you and to one another. we gather this morning Lord and ask that you would cause the worries and concerns of this world to fade away for some time so that our eyes can be drawn to your gospel so that we can reflect on the things that on, on any sins that may have taken root in our hearts this week so we humbly ask of oh God that you would nourish us today through our upcoming worship service as Adam uh, is prepared to feed the flock through the ministry of the word. <coughs> Soften our hearts for this, O oh Lord. So in Christ's name we pray. Amen. When you hear the word faithful, what, what are some other words, I guess, that would come to mind? If you think that someone is faithful, this is a faithful person. So what do you, what do you, what do you, what attributes are you saying that this person has? What qualities? Trustworthy. Right. True. That's what I'm going to say. True. Loyal. Right. What does faithfulness typically involve? I mean, does it imply anything? Honesty. Yeah. Relationship. Yeah, and I think, you know, just at a bare minimum, doing what you say you're going to do. Um, And that that applies to our relationships, that applies to our jobs, that applies to church. Um, It applies to promises. But what's the more more reformed word for promises? Covenant. Yeah. So naturally, in talking about God being faithful, we're going to spend some time talking about covenant. And that's just kind of Grant Jones' summary of, but we'll get there that has to be briefly addressed as we we start with God and how do we understand what it means to be faithful. You know, the the world would have their perspective. You know, the idea of keeping their promises and keeping their word exists for those who are atheists. It exists for those who worship Buddha or Muhammad. Um, But we know, just like the rest of the attributes, that faithfulness finds its origin in God. And so for all those... Who believe that they are faithful, believe that they keep their word, believe that they keep their promises, who do not worship God, um, who do not profess belief in Christ. They really have no idea what it means to be faithful. Uh, they really don't recognize that uh, they stand condemned as promise breakers, as we all do if we, if we aren't covered by Christ's perfect obedience. And so that's kind of the big picture, but, but uh, let's start with the doctrine. And then we're going to look at how each person of the Trinity exhibits this faithfulness and try to draw some application from that. There's two distinctions that I'd like to make that I think Mark Jones also makes in his chapter regarding what we mean when we say that God is faithful, that he's truthful, reliable. Uh, Scripture uses this phrase, um, God is true, in two ways. In one way, when, when we read certain verses that say God is true, the verse is simply telling us that God is the only real God, capital G. So we know that our God is true, but we also know that Scripture talks about God's little g, and we know that those gods are false. So when we hear the statement God is true in Scripture, what the, what the Word of God is trying to convey is that we worship a, a real God. He's not a false God. He's not a God made out of human hands. He is the only God. There are other verses in Scripture that say God is true, and what they are trying to convey is that our God is faithful, He is sure, we can trust what He says, we can believe His promises, He always keeps His promises. These are the aspects, and these are the verses that we're going to look at today to discuss this attribute. Within this distinction, we also need to be reminded, like all the other attributes, faithfulness has its origin in the essence of who God is. God's ultimate purpose, uh, as we have in our confession and in the children's catechism, is that all things bring him glory. This is what God is ultimately faithful to. Each member of the Trinity, each person of the Trinity, is supremely concerned with making much of God, making much of himself. This is the origin, this is the foundation of what it means to be faithful, uh, and that is to bring glory to God. The second distinction that's important as we start to walk through how Scripture addresses this attribute is that, like the other attributes, when we are unfaithful, this doesn't change God's faithfulness. Right? Uh, Our ways, however wicked they become, the ways of the world, can never change God's plans. They can never change how faithful He is. A lot of times we try to figure out and do things in our own way and we get stubborn, but we need to have this as a base truth for understanding God's faithfulness that the way in which God works is not based on our level of faith it is based on his faithfulness and his promises so the context of God's faithfulness from a human perspective is when we see God the God that we know of in scripture we only see him in a relationship called a covenant And we'll just use a simple... There's there's many definitions out there of covenant. Guys, much smarter than me coming up with definitions, but I think the most basic definition that can can encompass not only the relationship that God has with humanity, but even the relationships that we have with each other, is that a covenant is is simply an agreement between two or more parties. In that, we can relate that our marriages are covenants, um, that our church membership is a type of a covenant, that the vows that the officers take is a form of a covenant. And also we can discuss the covenants that we see in Scripture and that all the all the um, covenants that we recognize in Scripture involve two or more parties uh, having some form of an agreement. In the Reformed vein of Christianity, uh, there are thoughts out there, there, there's a lot of emphasis on covenant. As Kathy mentioned, that's really the word we like to use instead of promises. And this, is the, the, this doctrine or this topic is typically referred to as covenant theology. It goes very deep. and We don't have time to cover all that. We could spend, you know, three, three to four months just walking through what is covenant theology as far as Presbyterianism is concerned. So if you have more questions after I try to give a brief overview, talk to me after class or talk to Adam or the other elders, and we'd be more than happy to point you, uh, give you an answer or, or point you to some resources. But the reason this is important is because every one of us, whether we believe in Christ or not, is in a covenant relationship with God. And so we need to understand that this is how God relates to us. There's a great chasm, and as Mark Jones puts it in his book, there's, in this chapter, there's a great chasm between God as creator and us as creature. And the way that God has sovereignly chosen to relate to creation is by way of covenant. And so it is this, in this way that we understand that nothing in the created order exists outside of it in a covenant with God. And this helps us highlight the faithfulness of God. So let's just do a brief overview. And we'll see some of this in Scripture. And this, again, this is just going to be a brief summary. So the covenant of redemption we recognize as being outside of time. <clears throat> Okay, so I wrote creation here. You just think about this. Creation happened. This is before creation. And it, it exists within, within God. In that God the Father made a plan to redeem people. God the Son voluntarily submitted to accomplish that plan. Right? Christ is the one that accomplished redemption. And the Holy Spirit agreed in that pact to apply that redemption to the elect. The covenant of redemption. Out of those two are the first and second covenant that we often refer to because this is within creation. These are the ones that pertain to us. Uh, a lot of times this is called an inner trinitarian covenant. It just existed within the persons of the Godhead. Now these are the ones we're likely more familiar with. These are the ones that Scripture most clearly talks about. That first covenant was the covenant of works. Adam was the federal head, and the condition of that covenant was works. If you think back to the garden, God said, do this and live Do this and you will surely die. The other covenant that Scripture focuses on is the covenant of grace. Christ is the federal head of that covenant. He's our representative. And the condition is faith. The reason that this is important is because we need to understand that in our relationship with God, in these covenant relationships, we are often unfaithful. But God is always going to be faithful to all of his promises. Death entered the world because Adam broke the covenant. And in Christ, we will have eternal life as, since he is our federal head. So, in other words, every single part of creation either has Adam as its representative or Christ. So, that's just a brief summary, but we need to understand covenant And when we understand the terms of the covenant that we are in, the covenant of grace, we know where our hope comes from. We know that when we face storms and trials, we can go to the scriptures and see what God has promised in his relationship with us. So our redemption, the redemption of of the elect, you'll notice is, is solely based on Christ's faithfulness in that agreement, in that covenant. Because we said that faithfulness exists within the Trinity. And this is how we see it in Scripture. And so we know and our surety is Christ. Uh, we're going we're gonna to backtrack through some of this through the Scriptures, but I wanted to go ahead and give you the summary up front. Um, so our redemption is based supremely on the faithfulness of God, and that's accomplished by Christ and applied to the elect by the Holy Spirit. Does anybody have a question? I think there needs to be a point of clarity before we move on from this diagram. Adam, did you have something? I see you flipping. If not, I will continue. You know, I was going to ask if you uh, when you talk about you talk about the covenant of redemption, were you going to do any, any scripture dives on that in terms of like? Yeah, we're going to see that, and mainly what we what we mean. This is a neat way for, a neat and tidy way for us to discuss. Well, wait a minute. Christ existed before the foundations of the world. <clears throat> we know that the elect were chosen before the foundations of the world, and we're going to flip to John, and we're going to see that. So before any of creation happened God saw fit to express his glory by the covenant of redemption in which it was ordained that man would fall and some would be elected and represented by the sacrifice the incarnation and ministry of Christ so this is all pointing to his faithfulness we know that it is sure because God has said it so before the foundations of the world um but yes, we're gonna specifically we're gonna look at John, the book of John, which helps us highlight how these things were set before the before creation. So there are a lot of covenants in the Bible. So you think of Noah, Abraham, Moses, David. All those are administrations of this covenant, right? All those people in those covenants in the Old Testament who place their faith in Christ, they have they have Christ as their <coughs> representative all those who reject Christ still remain in this fallen state after the covenant of works and they'll have to give an account of whether they were perfectly obedient or not. We know the answer to that. All that's just kind of to lay a foundation of how we're going to look at God's faithfulness going through these scripture <coughs> verses. Uh, and and to, point, to point out that supremely our salvation is based on God's faithfulness to himself and it's not based on our faithfulness. A condition of being in this covenant is placing our faith in Christ, but salvation is achieved because of Christ's perfect obedience. So, an overview of the doctrine, I think we've we've been brief enough about it. So, when we highlight God's faithfulness, we're talking about uh, him being sure, his word always being truthful and trustworthy. He always keeps his promises. And yet in our unfaithfulness, we stand condemned. And it's difficult to talk about God's faithfulness without looking at the ministry of Christ, because like his other attributes, we're going to be, uh, someone will flip to Luke chapter 2, hold that spot, and I want to sign out, if you will help me, in the book of John, as we talk about how we see God's faithfulness in the incarnation and life of Christ. We'll try to bring this full circle. In God the Son incarnate, we have a living, breathing, and walking, and and honestly, the most beautiful outpouring of God's faithfulness. And how can we say that? When was Christ promised? When was Christ initially promised? In Scripture. Genesis 3. 3.15. And in Luke chapter 2, let me flip there myself, we have a man of God named Simeon. And I think Adam may have mentioned this last uh, Sunday. Luke chapter 2, verse 29 through 31. Simeon is a man who has been looking for the Savior. Simeon is a man who is, Scripture says, is filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit actually told him that he would see this Savior before he tasted death. And this occurs when Jesus is a boy with his parents being brought to the temple. And hear Simeon's response. The background of this is that the Jews have been looking for this promised Messiah for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Think of how much time has elapsed in all the events that have occurred between Genesis chapter 3 and Luke chapter 2. Imagine if we just had our Old Testament and we didn't have our New Testament and we were still being asked to look to Christ. How much more dim that would be without having been revealed the ministry of Christ. And here's Simeon's response to this. I'm going to back up to verse 27. And he came in the Spirit into the temple... God made a promise hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before. And Simeon's faith was looking for that same promise. And it is here revealed. You know, many times we get mad or upset because some particular situation or we feel like God has promised something in his word. And for some reason, from our perspective, it's not going our way. Or it's not going that way. The reality is, God doesn't have to be faithful within our time frames. The reality is just because we don't think God has done some action when we think he should takes nothing away from his faithfulness. If we have a right view of faithfulness when our faith is tested we can remind ourselves and each other of that. The second thing I want us to look at is what was Christ's earthly ministry characterized by? And the reason it's so important to look at Christ is because this is how we see this is where we see our example of what it means to be faithful. Christ did many things in his ministry, right? He healed people, he fed people, he, he hung out with sinners and, and those who were sick, and the Pharisees didn't like that. But there's something foundational to everything that Christ did, and that's what we're going to take a survey through John, the book of John, real quick. So I, I've got four uh, just single verses I'd like people to just grab, um, and then we'll just we'll read through those real quick. John Chapter five, verse thirty John Chapter six, verse thirty eight John Chapter eight, verse twenty nine and John fourteen thirty one we read those verses, every one of them is within the context of Jesus speaking to someone else and reminding them of why he came. Reminding them of why he's doing what he's doing. Reminding them of why he is saying what he's saying. So, uh, would someone please read John 5.30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is Christ's faithfulness being expressed. And we're going to see that same idea repeated in every one of these verses. This is what our mentality should be. Not our will, but God's will. John 6.38 For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So going back to my diagram, maybe I can redeem it a little bit. You can imagine those words of Christ, him explaining Him coming down, being God incarnate. Why did he do that? Because he was commissioned by God the Father and he voluntarily submitted to come and do that. To come and humble himself in the form of a man. To do the will of God. Uh, John 8, 29. And he sent me I'm sorry. I don't have my glasses (laughs) on. Sounds right. And he who sent me is with me the father has not left me alone for I always do those things that please him and John 14 31 but that the world may know that I love the father and as the father gave me commandment so I do arise let us go from here So we see supremely, we can get caught up in all the details of the gospel and studying those things to see specific examples of how Christ treated people. But we have to remember the reason why he came supremely was not to make people feel better, was not to help blind people, physically blind people, to get their physical eyesight back. But supremely it was doing the will of God. That's why we know our salvation is so sure. Because it's not based on us; it's based on God's faithfulness to Himself. The beauty of the verses that we read. Well, let, let me let's look at one more place in John. I'm getting ahead of myself. John chapter seventeen. I'll read this section. John chapter seventeen, verses four through ten. Again, we have this picture, and this is where I want you to see that something took place before creation, that already set all this stuff in motion. This is Jesus' prayer to God the Father. And I'll begin in verse 4. It says, I have glorified you on earth, this is Christ speaking, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, as they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. It's beautiful to look at how perfectly faithful Christ was in all of his duties. But something that is even more breathtaking for us, from our perspective as fallen creatures, is this is something that God has ordained to communicate to us by his Holy Spirit. So we've seen that faithfulness first exists within God because he is supremely committed to making everything bring him glory. And part of the way in which he chose to bring himself glory was through redeeming the fallen people. And so we also see the faithfulness of God in, in promising to do that. And we see the faithfulness of that most clearly in that Christ actually came. The serpent crusher the snake crusher actually came but it doesn't stop there for Christians in that the Holy Spirit God has sent the Holy Spirit to give us faithfulness I want to look reference two things to make that point um, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. The attribute of God's faithfulness really requires a, covering a, a, a wide variety of ideas and, and thoughts. So we're just trying to condense that down as much as we can for the time that we have. But we need to understand that this the faithfulness is a communicable attribute. That means this is something that God has in store for his people. This is something that God intends for us to be characterized by as being faithful. And he gave us an example to follow in that. So Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 reads this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. This faithfulness that we see exhibited within God, the faithfulness that we see Christ having in God and in God's word and in God's will is something that he has gifted christians god in his grace ordained to share his faithfulness with us where his faithfulness is involved in our lives galatians five twenty two tells us that one of the gifts of the holy spirit is not only joyfulness and all those things but it also lists faithfulness in there And I'm not going to read that verse, but if you need a reference for, for the Holy Spirit or faithfulness being a gift of the Holy Spirit, it's Galatians, again, Galatians 5.22. The other thing I'd like to reference for us with regard to how the Holy Spirit communicates faith to us is from Westminster's larger catechism, uh, question 22. So the question before, sorry, question 32, the question before that is, with whom was the covenant of grace made? The covenant of grace was made with Christ as the second Adam, and in him with all the elect is his seed. And question 32 is, how is the grace of God manifested in the second covenant? The grace of God is manifested in the second covenant in that he freely provided and offereth to sinners a mediator, and life and salvation by him, and requiring faith as the condition to interest them in him, promiseth. And giveth the Holy Spirit to all his elect. And here it lists the responsibilities and duties of the Holy Spirit to work in them, that is the elect, that faith with all other saving graces, and to enable them unto all holy obedience, as the evidence of the truth of their faith and thankfulness to God, and as the way which he hath appointed them to salvation. That's a lot of information, but the point of looking at all this for us as Christians is we're required to have faith. But at times, there are things that happen to us in our life that cause our faith to waver. Um, we we mention these examples many times when we cover these attributes, I feel like, but uh, financial hardship, health concerns, something happens to our children, something happens to our parents, some catastrophe. These are all things that at times have likely caused our faith to waver. Further in our own strivings to be to pursue holiness and to not sin, we've all probably been unfaithful in some form to this covenant. Not only to our covenant with God, but to the covenants that we have that go horizontally. Right? Our covenants in marriage, our covenants at our jobs, and uh, the vows we've taken even as being church members. But the beauty of this is our salvation is not based on whether we our faith is always perfect or not. Our salvation is based on the faithfulness of Christ. And our surety is on that because we know that God is perfectly faithful in all things. And God has promised to redeem His church through Christ. So when we have salvation and our faith is tempted, what is the action plan? Well, according... To, to, to most action plans, we need to look and see the faithfulness of Christ. We need to cast our eyes upon his faithfulness and how he was perfectly obedient. His faith did not waver even in the face of having wrath poured out on him from an infinite God. He maintained faith. Even when we look to Christ, though, sometimes we fall short. Our sin still wavers. So the important thing to studying how God communicates faithfulness to us by the Holy Spirit is that we learn this. When our faith feels weak, or when we're in some event, outward circumstances that causes our faith to wane, we can rightly ask for the Holy Spirit to help us to be faithful. So some applications. Placing our faith through God implies obedience. There's one more area of scripture, I think, yes, I'd like us to turn to, and that's John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 33 through 36. There's really going to be three points of application, but they all stem from this. Once we, Christians that have true faith in God, that vertical faith, we believe in the things that that God has said. We believe in in Christ, the one who came from above. True faith, which which is vertical, always bleeds out horizontally for Christians. Our faithfulness to God should bleed out into our marriages. Our faithfulness to God should bleed out in those vows that we took with our companies when they hired us. Our faithfulness to God should bleed out whenever we take membership vows or when our officers take vows um, with regards to being officers in the church. If it doesn't, then there's sin and there's need of repentance. And trust me when I say all of us have been unfaithful in all of those categories in some shape or form. John chapter 3, verse 33 through 36. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. You Remember when we talked about one of the distinctions in the beginning when we see that phrase in Scripture? This is the second way. When we say God is true, He is sure. Everything that He has said is trustworthy. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For He gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. And verse 36 is a good conclusion to the point we're drawing. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey. Notice it doesn't say believe. It says whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. We know from other areas of Scripture, particularly the book of James, it talks about that faith and works always go hand in hand. So we need to be encouraged by this Scripture, and maybe shaken a little bit, that our faith, should have implications in our outward workings. So what are the three applications I'd like us to think about uh, as we head into worship? Number one, are we being faithful in the covenants we have with one another? The temptation in marriage is to be unfaithful to that covenant, whether that's through adultery in the mind or, or in a physical action, or if it's being selfish. We're called in marriage to be self-sacrificing towards the other spouse. But oftentimes we find ourselves wanting to do what we want, wanting to do what makes us happy. We should strive for faithfulness in our marriages. We should remember the vows that we took on our wedding day. This also has implications in the way we work. The temptations to be unfaithful at work can vary anywhere from stealing time to stealing money to not doing things with integrity. We don't think about that, but this is the way in which we show our faithfulness to God and that we do our work as if we were doing it to God. And also, very importantly, is our relationship with the church. We took membership vows to hold each other accountable, to do what's best for one another, to pray for one another, to hurt when other people hurt, to be concerned for one another. And we know from Scripture that one of the hallmark qualities of a church is that they are known for their love for one another but we don't have to self-reflect very hard to maybe find ways we haven't been completely faithful in that the second application actually came from mark jones and it was a pastor's perspective which which i don't have but i thought it was um, very important for us to hear as as church members Mark John says this with regards to faithfulness if faithful pastors were asked what they wish from church members they would very quickly mention faithfulness we do not require that people possess the power and devotion of David, the wisdom and wealth of Solomon or the gifts and sanctification of Paul we simply want our people to be faithful in their service of the king not brilliant, rich, or powerful, but faithful. So in all this, we don't have to look very far as Christians to see where we've been unfaithful. We don't have to look very far in Scripture at some of the heroes of the faith. Though they're highlighted in Hebrews 11 for their faith, we can very quickly think of ways in which they were unfaithful. And the same is true of us, whether we acknowledge it or not. And so... The conclusion is this. When we feel our faith strained, when we hear word preached and we're reminded of our unfaithfulness, we need to look to Christ's example who never strayed from his faith, who never strayed in his obedience, even when he faced the full outpouring of God's wrath. And we need to pray that the Spirit of God would help us to become more faithful to Christ, more obedient to Christ, but also that the Holy Spirit would help us be more faithful horizontally to one another. Let's pray. Father, as so often occurs after reflecting on how faithful you are, we can't help but notice how far we fall short. We can't help but notice our own inadequacies, whether that be in uh, our obedience to you uh, in thought, word, or deed. Lord, when we see the perfect faithfulness of Christ, help us to cherish that. Help us to long for that and, and strive for that in, in, our, in our relationship with you, in our relationship with our spouses, in our relationships at church and at work. We know, O oh Lord reading scripture that we have a horrible track record of being faithful we know and can confess oh Lord even outside of scripture looking at our own lives that we are characterized in and of ourselves as promise breakers we ask oh Lord that you would draw our eyes to the faithfulness of Christ help us not to trust in how good and faithful and righteous we think we are Holy Spirit, strengthen our faith, soften our hearts so that we desire to be more faithful. We know, O Lord, that one of the gifts of your Spirit is faithfulness and is that that we desire this morning in all of our ways, but most specifically, O Lord, as we enter into worship of you, we plead with you that your Spirit would help us and intercede during this worship and that it would be seen as faithful worship.